everybody. Welcome to Act 3, or Episode 3, of the movie side of the tracks, Spy Series. <laughs> so, previously we uh, attacked the, the 60s of spy stuff, and then we tackled the 90s. That would have been previously. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of skipped the 70s, kind of skipped the 80s a little bit. Um, but we're going straight into the noughties, or the odd aughts, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the 2000s. He also rans. <clears throat> All right. And, I mean, as far as, um, and we talked about this a little bit off the air. Yeah. The quality of the music has definitely declined. I think the originality is the issue. It's like it, yeah. where the last four pieces of music we heard were, though they kind of uh, aped each other a little bit here and there, they d- completely stood out. Like I said, it's the classic, I can name that song in one note. For the most part, I, it's the case for those songs. But can you argue that they're actually the ones from the previous act, act two, or even worthy of being called or being credited to the 90s because they were actually reboots or remakes of music from the well, 60s? That's, see, that's a, that's the problem because you basically had to pull from the previous decades to get the uh, essentially the earworm. So, I mean, we speak of uh, Saul Bossa Nova and we talk about the Mission Impossible theme, but outside of those, if we actually think of you know whatever spy movie came out in the '90s, outside of those two, do you remember any uh, scores that stand out? So we listened to MacGyver and we listened to La Femme Nikita. That was the '80s, '90s. What was La Femme Nikita a memorable <laughs> score though? <laughs> la 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 la. Not really. Was he actually saying something? I was like wondering about that. Was he just <laughs> making like la la like a lounge singer who forgot the lyrics? But uh, I don't know. But you know, give it to us, baby. What, what we got? What we got in this decade? All right. Or the previous? So um, we enter the two thousands or the noughties. <laughs> we enter the noughties and don't call almost the noughties. From, I call it the noughties. It's, it's such an annoying name. And almost from the get go, uh, a movie comes out. That decides that it's going to sort of defy the spy movie genre, not only in sort of the way that it's portrayed, but also in the way that it looks, the way that it feels, and the music that it uses. Oh. Let's see. You're building this up. Yeah. Try this on for size, kids. By Moby. That's exceptionally Moby-like. Mo, uh, featured in 19, uh, sorry, 2002's The Bourne Identity. My mom loves the Bourne movies <laughs> so much. She'll tell you all about them. Yeah, uh, mm, yeah it's Moby. 
I, I, is Jason Bourne the James Bond of our generation? He, uh, <laughs> at, purely by default, probably. I mean, who else comes close? I'm James sure, Bond. I mean, I think Jay, <laughs> that's that's the correct answer right there. James Bond, uh, you know, he's he's James but Bond is, is he, the James is, Bond is, of every is, generation. Is Jason Bourne, uh, the millennial James Bond. For some people, yeah. sure. But I think the movies do appeal to an older audience who actually probably grew up on the older James Bonds. Like I said, my I I want to like the. Born movies. I just, I'm just meh about them personally. But my mom could watch them all effing day. And well, your mom's on this podcast. My mom matters, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> anyway, what do, what do you think about the Jason Bourne movies, and what do you think about that piece of music? I, I liked the piece of music. I, I it took me back to when I just first saw the first Bourne movie, and. Uh, I I enjoyed it and I I remember listening to it after it was over. I like the way you called him sort of this millennial James Bond. I think that's pretty accurate because the the appeal to me about Bourne was the guy doesn't even know who he is, what he wants, and but after that's resolved, he's constantly trying to figure out what happened to him. We spend we spend eight hours like three or four movies trying to figure out what he supposedly already knows mm-hmm. he just forgot well there's something smart. interesting about those because he, when he comes to realization of who he really is he decides I don't like this version yeah. of me it's a very a millennial thing which is like I, I don't like that that version of me so therefore I'm going to reject it and do my own thing yeah. Exactly. At least Bond sort of knows what he wants and goes for. It. We do, we get and maybe now uh, with a few of the movies, there's actual character development with Bond. Um, the down Craig, like, se- the down Craig um, era, yeah. Yeah, we like with Skyfall and even Casino Royale. I, I saw some stuff that I hadn't seen in other Bond movies as far as the character goes. But here's but the thing about that: yeah. isn't it slightly influenced by Jason Bourne? How so? Well, because uh, the Casino Royale came after the Jason Bourne movies, and well, so I mean, it, and, like the, the memory or identity crisis. Well, I, what what I'm saying is, I feel like what probably happened with uh, the James Bond series is that they realized that this was a different era, and they needed to do something different, and maybe they needed to take a a, a little bit from um, the Jason Bourne movies, which is that there's a character who's conflicted with who he is. It's more grit. And that maybe he's, you know, he's not necessarily, maybe he doesn't necessarily love his job. Like, Sean Connery, Bond, that fucking, that guy fucking loved his job. Oh, he loved it, yeah. Right. Daniel Craig Bond does not like his job. But he sort of like has, he's come to the realization, or he's come to the conclusion. conclusion that this is the only thing he can do. Because he's a thug. He's a thug. And he has no other choice. Well, and that's what I kind of liked about these Bonds, whereas, you know, later on, Sean Connery is just, just as smooth as silk. This Bond was a hammer. You know, he, he everything was a nail, and he was going to hammer it home. Bourne was a scalpel, right? So he had, he seemingly had the skill to solve every single situation. And that's why the characters are so, at least 
Daniel Craig's version of Bond is so different to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing about the music is that uh, Moby is such a like a, a naughties or a two thousands artist. Like you hear his music and you immediately know it's the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that period between. The 90s grunge and sort of like transition to the new metal to the to sort of like this this weird place that music turned into in the late 2000s with your Chemical Brothers, Fat Boy Slims, and and the like. Right. So I think Moby is like like perfectly encapsulates the 2000s or the early 2000s for better or worse. So there there is four different versions of this song. Oh goody. Moby rearranged the song for each movie in the series, starting with Born Ultimatum. Uh, the original song peaked at number 12 on the Billboard's Dance Club song chart. <laughs> Made me want a boogie. <laughs> <laughs> People dance the weirdest shit, I swear to <clears throat> fucking Christ. So the, the Born Identity movie did have a composer. His name was John Powell. And he was brought in to replace composer Carter Burwell. Oh, Carter. Yeah, Carter Burwell. He's he's worked with the uh, Coen brothers on a lot of stuff. Okay. Uh, including Raising Arizona. Yeah. Um, and he had composed and recorded a more kind of like traditional orchestral score for the film, which director Doug Lehman rejected. And Doug Lehman at that point had done, I think, two movies. Three. Swingers. Sorry, Swingers and Go. They also uh. did, um, with this, okay, no, maybe it was this, th- I feel like there's Jason another Jason, Bo- the Born Identity was with, his third movie. Okay. When did, was Jumper his fourth? It came afterwards. Uh, Jumper's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love Swingers, I do love Swingers and Go. Yeah. So, so, Doug Lehman is, is a very particular type of director, but he, he did not like the music. And since a lot of the, the music budget had been spent recording the rejected score, Powell's score was initially conceived to be entirely non-orchestral. Uh, it was making extensive use of percussion, guitars, electronics, and studio techniques. Mm. However, they added a string section um, over the, 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 you know, the digital sounds um, to give it a more cinematic quality. Because it sounded a little too um, Basic. cheap, cheap, lower shelf. <laughs> okay, I I follow. All right. Well, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> That's my dismissive. It's fine. It's fine. It's not bad. Yeah. All right. It's not great. It's not memorable. It's what it is. It's fine. Is it good? No. I mean, it's better than what I could do. But it's fine. It's okay. Would I play it in my car? No. Would someone play it in their car and tell them to turn it off? No. But I'd wonder why they were playing it. (laughs) Because it's basic and fine. Anyway. So that was fun. Okay. So we, we go from one piece of music that sort of like tries to defy the spy music that came before it. And now we go into the um, tens, 
So what have we called this decade? We really got to think of a name for this decade, <laughs> seriously. Because we, we, got, we got away with doing the 2000s for the first part, but we can't really... Are we officially the teens? Is this the teens? Yeah, this is, a, this is the 20 teens. We're in the 20 teens, and we're kind of going back. We're going backwards. We're getting, we're getting uh, nostalgic. Are we? Yes. And this is the kind of music we have now for our spy movies. Okay. Here, let's take a listen. Avengers. Matters Maketh <laughs> the Man by Henry Jackman and Matthew Mardson from Kingsman, The Secret Service in 2015. It's a good movie. That's interesting what you say because I feel like that piece of music is almost a, a melding. A melding of, of of old school spy music. Oh, I see that. And current superhero Yeah, plays. I heard a little Spider-Man and I heard a little Avengers in there. And I did hear a little bit with the kind of the Bond stuff. So it's definitely pulling from various places to get its inspiration. I mean, it's... I don't know. I found it catchier than the Bourne song. So, Aaron? I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's it's probably helped out by the fact that I enjoyed the movie as well. But uh, I thought that music was, was great. And like you said, even though it pulls from all those different sources, it's not a direct copy. You know, it, it at least it can claim to be somewhat original, and it, it doesn't feel like it was composed on the back of a napkin like Moby's song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like the Moby song. That's oh, fine. It's fine. It's not bad. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, this, this song is also fine. It's fine. It's uh, this song. No, see, it's. It's alright. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's good-ish. I don't, I don't want to say it's great because it's not, but it's um, it's lively. It kind of it, it gets it gets you going. Yeah. And sometimes that's yeah. that's enough. So Henry <laughs> Henry Jackman began working with filmmaker Matthew Vaughn on Kick Ass, mm. and has continued to do so on nearly every project Vaughn has directed or produced since, oh, including X Men: First Class and Kick Ass Two. I got Vaughn. Vaughn directed Kick Ass Two. Uh, he produced it. Oh. Um, Harry Jackman has also composed music for the latter Captain America films, Winter Soldier and Civil War, Kong Skull Island. And the upcoming The Predator sequel, among many others. Oh boy! Ooh. So uh, he's very he's very in tune with the sort of like uh, modern action movie genre of music. He's got it dialed in. Yeah. Um, and Matthew Margin, which is the co-composer on uh, Kingsman: Secret Service, has worked on numerous projects, a ton. Name some. But only through, <laughs> only as an ancillary capacity. Wait, so he's, a, he's, he's also ran. So he's sort of like an assistant, sometimes a co-composer. But he's never the main main. 
Which brings me into my uh, deep dive oh. for this particular act. The deep dive is about a, uh, a uh, music production studio called Remote Control Productions. Okay. Okay. Margins, Margson and Jackman are members of Hans Zimmer's Remote Control Productions, Boo. a film score company with a large group of composers mentored by Zimmer. Yes. Um, this collective counts Lauren Balf of Mission Impossible Fallout fame, Balf. Tyler Bates, which oh. we talked about in the previous series. We did. Uh, Raman Dewadi. Or Jawadi, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I don't think you know how to pronounce half these names. This is this is the guy who did the uh, Game of Thrones uh, score and theme. I don't watch TV. Tom Holkenborg, aka Junkie XL, who we talked about in the previous podcast as well. His real name's Holkenborg. Tom Holkenborg. Why would he change that? It's kick ass. Junkie XL is his Junk, DJ name. Junkie XL can bite my ass. Fucking <laughs> Borg, though, I'll go to the party with that guy. Um, also, Steve uh, Jablonski <laughs> and even Pharrell Williams are I've counted ha- among its ranks. Oh, Pharrell. He's fun. He wears big hats. Yeah. The company in recent years has been referred to as a film score factory. Reports that when Zimmer takes on a job, he actually just comes up with a suite of music and d- divvies it up between various composers in the company to flesh them out for specific oh, scenes. Lazy piece of shit. So, the, the, the idea behind this is that, you know, he gets a job, um, he kind of like comes up like the basic skeleton of what the score is, and then he gets these guys to say, alright, you did this action scene... You do this dramatic scene, you do this scene, this romantic scene, et cetera, et cetera, and it all comes together. So he's a Stan Lee to their Jack Kirby's. Oh. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty accurate way to, 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 to refer to it. Celsius, motherfucker. <clears throat> if, that's, if that's the case, that's a credit to them because all the movies where he's kind of given credit for... Know, composing they all sound like they came from the same guy they all sound disjointed or one scene sounds like it's competing with another so good on them yeah well well that's actually what the critics are bemoaning because they're saying that essentially Hollywood's impar- apparent infatuation with this company um, has resulted in the majority of recent big studio productions um, sounding it, it, it's what they are referring to as the homogenized blockbuster sound. With the sameness of all the major studio offerings. Yep. Um, And a lot of times what's happened is that the the majority of these big studio productions, when they don't hire, uh, you know, Hans Zimmer or Remote Control Productions, they'll actually um, handpick composers from this um, collective to do their scores, which is what's resulting in everything sounding the same. So Hans gotcha. Zimmer is a bane to our existence, as I originally thought, <laughs> and uh, he should be stopped. That's I. You know what? You just strengthened my resolve on Hans Zimmer <laughs> being a fucking hack. Here's the thing, so though. I don't know. Some sort of like El- Illuminati. The <laughs> music naughty or something. The music naughty. <laughs> the music naughty. Yeah. Yeah. 
shit. I don't know, man. I feel like w- these composers are listed here as part of that collective. I feel like their um, individual contributions also sound very different. I think Junkie XL or Tom Hulkenborg. 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 <laughs> Hulkenborg's uh, Mad Max Fury Road score sounds nothing like anything from Tyler Bates's, say, Gardens of the Galaxy score. And I don't think anything from um, this this Raman uh, Dewanji, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, sorry, Dewana, Dewandi, his Game of Thrones score sounds nothing like anything that Lorne Balfe did for Mission Impossible Fallout. I'll take your word for it. Oh, because you haven't heard any... Of I've never heard the games of Game of Thrones. The games. The Game, games of games, Thrones. Games of the Throne. I have, games not, of I, the I have not heard that score. <laughs> I mean, I'm aware that it probably has one, but I've never heard it because I don't watch TV. What about you, Aaron? Do you think these uh, these composers... The, the, or Do you believe in the whole blockbuster sound idea? Um, I, I, I guess, but people who are criticizing that... You know, if, if you really think that it can be done better, then show me who, who does do it up to your standards that's outside of this group. Um, artists in every genre collaborate sometimes, bite off of each other, um, and art as a whole goes in, in cycles. Right? So you'll, you'll get paintings that are similar for 20, 30 years, and then it goes to a different style of painting. So get off your high horses and just enjoy the music. Yeah, shut the fuck up. What are you talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to listen to one last piece of music. Uh, oh, shit. From TV. A, a TV uh, contribution oh. to the whole spy genre. And we're going to wrap it up with this piece of music. Jeff is befuddled. Yeah. Aaron, do you recognize it? I do not either. It's Archer. The Avengers? Oh. Archer. Oh, Archer. I've actually seen some Archers. <laughs> is he a spy? Yes, he is. Huh. Yeah. Did so, they change? Because I watched some older ones, and the original group was named ISIS. Did they change that? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen the more recent episodes. <laughs> but you're right. That's the original name for it. That that's the original name of that spy agency. Um, so for me, Archer is almost bringing us back to square one. The music in that just takes take us takes us immediately back to the 1960s. Yeah. Got the horns. <laughs> I think. The, okay. Well, I hear the at the end. That okay. I remember that part from watching Archer. Okay. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's an okay piece of music. It's fine. If for TV, it's good. I wouldn't play it. I wouldn't blast it in my car. But It, it reminded me of uh, Venture Brothers. Yeah, it's very Venture Brothers-y. They're not spies, though. But Venture Brothers is pretty much a riff on uh, Johnny Quest, so... Yeah. Johnny Quest wasn't a spy, was he, either. Was Johnny Quest a spy? No, no. 
He was an adventurer. Did adventures. He was like an, he was kind of an international terrorist, right? Basically. <laughs> no, but his best friend was. He wanted the turban. <laughs> Haji? Uh, That's racist. That's his name. Was it Haji? Yeah. Um, I, I remember he had like limited magic skills like Sim Sim Celebim and like something would happen. Not racist. <laughs> not racist at all. Well, I mean, he was a hero. <laughs> I guess. As far as terrorists go. Uh, and when there was a dog named Bandit. And then what was the name of the the, the blonde, the, the white-haired guy? Brock? Was it Brock? Race. Race Bannon. Race Bannon. Race. Yeah. That's a sweet-ass name. He, he, had some, he had some dark, dark history. <laughs> and then there was Daddy Quest, right? It was like the guy... Professor Quest. He had a bird. Right? He had a beard? <laughs> Did he? He had a beard. No, he had like a mustache. Oh. Yeah, he Maybe mustache. he had a beard, too. I can't remember. I don't... Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> That's fine. But again, it's from the 60s, so the, the 60s sound It all comes is, back to the yeah, 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, time to rock the vote. The oh. last last bit for yeah. this for this Act 3. It, it's between Kingsman, The Secret Service, Ma- Manners Maketh the Man by Henry Jackman and Matthew Marston, or The Born Identity, Extreme Ways by Moby. Jeff? Oh. <sighs> Uh, I will, as much as I don't want to give the, uh, the House of Zimmer any credit, I will, uh, give the nod to the, uh, Kingsman, uh, because it's goodish, as opposed, opposed to being fine. Neither are great options. Moby's is, I don't think the Moby song sets itself apart from any of the other shit he's done. So it's just it just sounds like Moby Moby in a spy movie. But Fuck. what but what if this is essentially uh, Moby's claim to immortality? It isn't his though. Extreme is extreme right ways for no, the, his, the identity. His, his claim identity. is that play album that managed to get every song licensed because he's a whore. Uh, the Born thing was a fucking afterthought. No, I'll, I'll give it to the Kingsman because it actually makes me think of better songs, whereas the Moby song just makes me think of other Moby songs. Okay. So there, that's my stance. I'm sticking to it. Okay. Aaron, I am uh, I am all for the conspiracy and the ill music naughty. I say Kingsman as well. Oh man, you guys have just been. This whole this whole night, you you two have just been been right, walking hand in hand and everything. Well, you know what? We have ears. At, where 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 are you going, Rob? It does matter. Where are you going? Where are you going, Rob? Where are you going? Where are you going, Rob? You going Moby? You going Moby? I would I would have picked Moby. Of course you would. <laughs> Fucking jackass. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about it is that it's different. While I feel like a king's, <laughs> it's different. It, it's I'll so, give him that. It's different. It's different. It's sort of like we had the the traditional uh, spy sound with James Bond, um, yeah. and then you have the 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 bossa nova stuff with Austin Powers. Um, although in that case, I would I would still pick Mission Impossible because I like percussive stuff more than. Than the the sort of like uh, jazzy stuff of bo- or funky stuff of bossa nova. Okay. 
That's not right. So, <laughs> we leave the ultimate decision to the public. It's going to be between uh, James Bond, Austin Powers, or fucking Kingsman. I would say this is a no-brainer, but after the last time, I you know I wouldn't put it past people to fuck this up too. <laughs> we shall see. Uh, but with that, we're we're ending this particular podcast. Uh, thanks for everybody for listening. There's the one or two of you that decided to tune in and, and give it a listen. I just want to say thanks to to Aaron uh, for. Uh, coming in Thank and you for your uh, patience, joining us all the way from uh, from you know the Midwest or whatever you call it out there in Spud Country. Um, it was um, it was lovely to hear your voice and and see your face on the uh, the screen. Thank you to Jeff for you know sacrificing so much to be here tonight. I know I had to call friends and tell them hey, sorry, I got <laughs> I got I got things I have to do and. Uh, it's okay. I put, I put, I sacrifice for one friend to help another. So that's yeah. where where I'm at here. I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. So with that, this is uh, Barbert saying uh, the balcony is closed. Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs>